Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome, friends, to this time, to the Sunday morning. Uh, I'm recording this in the afternoon uh, so that we can bring all of this worship, these readings, all of this together. Welcome. Hey, you are loved. That's the most important thing that I want you to hear today. Jesus loves you. God is with you. Because Jesus is Lord, you can be at peace today. And that's so important for us. But we're going to unpack it a bit. And I hope you'll follow along with what I'm going to be unpacking. I'm going to be looking back to a prophet Micah today to take a look at what he says about peace. And, I, and it leads into the life of Jesus and into our own hearts. And so there's a lot that we're going to look at today. And so I hope you'll track along and follow. Let me pray just before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, that you are the God of peace, that your Son, the Prince of Peace, comes and moves into our heart, and the Spirit of Peace moves in our lives and in our places. Help us to be people of peace. Today, uh, because of who you are, your character, and your promises, speak to us today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, good morning to you and uh, welcome. Uh, we are journeying on a series uh, about shalom. This is peace and what it is to make and find and discover and join in with the God of peace uh, in a world that doesn't always feel very peaceful, especially now. So welcome to our message today. Hey, imagine living in a country where there is an invading force on your borders, where your home is no longer safe, and where your government and your army appears to be defenseless against them. What would you do? You might think I'm talking about an Old Testament story, and we're going to tell that story in a second, but this is actually the story of Syria only like a few years ago. In Syria, there was, in Damascus, there was a siege. There was an internal conflict that I don't think is actually quite resolved now, but it's been going on for a long time. And, and But there was this really dark moment in about 2015, where, uh, sorry, in about 2005, 15, sorry, in 2015, where part of the city was under siege. The, governments had, or the government had bombarded it and the city was decimated. Thousands of people were starving after this bombing, and it was illegal to bring in and smuggle in any more than just a few loaves of bread. People had nothing. Guards weren't letting food or medicine at all. So in one neighborhood, one man gathered and he started to do something on his rooftop. He and his neighbors, they started a rooftop garden. It was the only green space in this bombed out city. And he built this garden so that he could feed him and his neighbors around him during the siege, during this time that they had no food at all. And somebody smuggled in for $50 some seeds. And he began to garden and water and take care of this. At first, people laughed. And you can read some interviews <laughs> with some of what his neighbors first said. They said, what are you doing? This is a war zone. Why are you planting a garden here? Well, they weren't laughing much after they started to harvest food. So first he harvested lettuce and, uh, and a bunch of other food and his neighbors could eat. 
So imagine in the midst of war, what it would be like to have an imagination for a garden. It seems totally counterintuitive. It would have been in his right, and maybe he did join up and take up arms to fight against the people who were starving him out. And perhaps he did. It's a complex story. But in the end, it was his rooftop um, green spot, this garden that he made, that was a true refuge of peace for him and others. Not only was it beautiful, but it fed people and kept people alive. I think this is a Jesus picture of what peace in the kingdom of God actually looks like. And it's the picture for this sermon series, the process of turning something that was destroyed into something that is life-giving for yourself and for others, something that's beautiful and hopeful and maybe even, maybe even holy. This morning, we're looking at a similar story in the book of Micah. There's an age-old phrase that's been used by almost every president at some point, almost every world leader at some point, that Isaiah and Micah, these two prophets, they lived at the same time, and they said, because God is king, the people of God, they would, in time, turn swords into plowshares. Swords into plowshares. It's the focus of our message today. In about 700 BC or so, these two prophets, and there were others, Isaiah and Micah, they lived in a time when the north and south kingdoms of Israel were divided. North was Israel, south is Judah. They weren't getting along, but actually it's because they weren't following God, they were being rebellious, that they were separated and fighting amongst each other. And guess what? Uh, the outside, the nations around them, they were salivating. They were like, hey, while they're fighting, let's get in there and take some of their stuff. So they were surrounded by the Assyrians and later the Babylonians who would come in and take them over. Well, the people, they were in panic. And fear took over. City after city was under siege. And their, their swords weren't strong enough. Their armies weren't strong enough. Their governments were so corrupt, so self-serving, and so inwardly focused that they couldn't get themselves out of this, no matter how much they tried to portray themselves as being strong. Well, it's into this chaos that God's prophets, Isaiah and Micah, they spoke. They spoke some truth into the story about who God is and what God was doing. You can take a look at the book of Micah and take a look at how Micah is saying, hey, here's the ways that you have totally turned your back on God and relied on yourselves. And so things are going to be bad for you. It's not going to be good. But listen, here's God's character and God's promises that you need to hold on to. God's going to make everything right, even in the absence of your faithfulness. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's an amazing book to, to, to dig into. And I'm going to read part of it right now. So Micah, he begins to help people have an imagination for what the future holds. Things aren't about to be good for them. The foreign nations are going to come and take over. But Micah's saying there's going to be a day when things are different, when peace comes. And this is how he lays it out. He says uh, in Micah 4 verse 3, he says, The Lord will mediate between peoples and will settle disputes uh, between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their, great, their own grapevine and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. For the Lord's heaven's armies has made a promise. Here we get this picture of uh, God being the one who ultimately brings peace to his people. And they're trying to imagine what it would be like. 
Imagine being told, well, the enemy is at your door. Imagine being told, well, there's invading nations coming there. You have your hand on the hilt of your sword, thinking these people are going to come not only invade my country, but maybe take my family and my land, everything that I hold dear, and you're holding your sword shaking. Imagine being told that after having seen all the destruction coming down from the north to the south, that you will one day be turning your swords into plowshares. It was both ridiculous, it was the most ridiculous thing, and maybe the most hopeful thing that they had ever heard. So when Isaiah and Micah say that one day they will hammer their sword, they'll take their one weapon of defense, and they will turn it into a plowshare, they were amazed. That you could actually exchange your weapon or your sword, you do it so willingly, and that you would take that metal and turn it into the metal tip of your plow. Something that would make plowing easier. You see, they would have a couple oxen and they'd attach a plow to it. And oftentimes your plow is just made of wood and it would bounce along through your field. But if it had a metal tip, boy, that would make things easier. So you'd turn your sword, which is to protect you, into a really good tool to make a really good crop to feed your family and your community. In other words, they would get back to living well. This is this promise. Under their own grapevine and fig, it was kind of the, the deepest joy you could have was to have been in such prosperity, to, to live in such peace that you could tend to a grapevine and have a fig tree. These two things were symbols that kind of bookended what a life of peace would look like for them. But the con connotations of a plow were also known at this time. There's a reason why Micah's talking about a sword into a plowshare, into this metal tip that helped making that helped your, your plow work better. You see, prophets use the image of a plow as this metaphor. It's a metaphor for making things right with God. So you see, it's not enough to just put down your sword. Um, the next step involves breaking up something hard. It's not enough to just stop being violent. You have to actively participate in making something good again. So this world of, so yet the, a plow was to break up something hard so that you could plant seeds and water it into a garden again. Plowing was a picture of realizing that we rely on God, not on ourselves. Jeremiah says that God's people must plow up the hard ground of their hearts. So these prophets use this image of, of plowing as the sense of like God working something into life again. But it starts with breaking through something hard. So I think when Mike and Isaiah are talking about turning swords into plowshares, there's, this, there's more than a transformation of just peace in the land. But there's a beginning of a work that we're going to establish long-term peace around us and in us. There's something more, I think, going on here. Micah and Isaiah, they are pointing to something very important. And I want us to catch this. It is God's character and promises. God's promised, God promised right from the beginning that he will protect and heal the whole world through his people. It's a promise called a covenant that he made with Abraham, and then he reiterated it to uh, King David. And it is a promise that says that God is going to tend to everybody, not just an individual, not just a people group, but the whole world. And the scripture from Micah and Isaiah have begin with this picture of all these people coming together to worship God. So it's a peace for all. Well, you aren't thinking that when you're, when you're hiding under a rock with an enemy invading you. But this is the grand vision of the kingdom of God, peace. 
this shalom is it's not just for me and my family. It's not just for my people group and those that are like me, but it's for everybody. And this is the grand promise that Micah is reminding his people of. But even more, these people who are in pain, he is saying that something, or I should say someone, is coming to do this work. And I want to show it. I hope that maybe you can pull out uh, Micah chapter 4 and 5, because there's something pretty profound happening here. I'm going to show you what it looks like here. Maybe I'll put up some, some of the scripture here. So Micah 4, we were reading about this, that, that God's saying God's people will be hammering their swords into plowshares, and, and they'll live under their fig and their, and their vine, that there will be peace, and God will be the one that makes peace. Verse 9 says, But why are you now screaming in terror? Have you no king to lead you? Have your wise people all died? Pain has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and groan like a woman in labor, you people of Jerusalem. So he's talking, he's using this picture of a woman in labor, and people would know what this is about. They're saying, that's how I feel. Coming to me is all this pain, and we're in, we're in terror. We're, there is no peace like a woman in labor. But then this is what happens. In chapter 5, Micah says something that turns the story here. He says this, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be their source of peace. Micah is talking here about Jesus. He's talking, he's saying, you are moaning in labor? Well, guess what? Out of this town called Bethlehem, which is this little podunk town that no one even thought of, is going to come one who comes and he is going to bring peace. It's a person who is going to make all of this happen in you. It's talking about Jesus. Isn't that profound? This is the crux of where shalom comes from. Uh, it, this, is, this is why we can hammer our swords into plowshares. This is, this is why we can, we can live open-handedly, non-violently, generously with our neighbors, is because the one has come. His name is Jesus. He is the source of peace. And Micah, 700 years before Jesus, was saying, this is where your source of peace comes from. God's promises and character stand stronger than our swords, and so we can rely on him, and Jesus has come. You see, he is Lord. Because Jesus is Lord, we do not have to fear. We can turn our attention to planting and feeding and healing because we know the story, and we are part of the story. It has become our story. Enemy at the gate or not, we are people of this promise who know the character of God revealed in Jesus. We are family. We live at the table. We're disciples. We gather along. We can follow with Jesus into this world. And guess what? That is peace. We walk with the Prince of Peace. I think that this is very profound. I hope you take a chance to read the book of Micah. 
I'm going to end with this, and it's a picture of, I think, a group of people that are trying to live this out in their communities. It's a group called Raw Tools, and uh, they've been doing something really interesting as a way of talking about peace. They are taking guns that were used in street violence, guns that have been given over to them, and guess what they're doing? They are, they've set up this uh, mobile forge, and they bang and hit and whack these, these guns into tools. And not just any kind of tool, they turn them into gardening tools. And I got one here. This was a semi-automatic gun uh, used, uh, used in violence, submitted, and they take and turn every gun into both three tools. So the wooden handle is from the stock of, of a particular gun, and then in the metal here, they whack it and forge it into a gardening implement. This is a matic. So from a semi-automatic into a garden matic. And I think it's a profound picture. And I got this and it's been sitting on my desk for a while because I think it's a picture of what this journey of peace looks like. This journey of taking a, an, an implement made for hurting and destroying a community, and in this case, turning it into something that can give life. I have a video here, it's just a short clip, taking a look at what this group is doing and what the rationale is around their really cool project of turning a weapon into something that gives life. Take a look. In 2009, there are three battleships. Their bow stems were made from the steel from the World Trade Center. It was all about taking revenge back to America's enemies. We counter that with the narrative of Jesus and, and enemy love. And so I wanted to do a local response by turning guns into garden tools and kind of grow that out as a grassroots movement to change the way we deal with conflict. We were fortunate enough to meet Terry, who you can hear banging here in the background, that he's teaching us kind of the basics of blacksmithing. I've got about 30, 35 guns. I would rather see guns like what the police confiscate turned into tools because they came from irreputable sources anyway. So we get most of our guns uh, from personal donations every now and then from police departments that have confiscated them and uh, we have a, a blacksmith shop that's set up in my dad's barn that we make a lot of our tools at. At events that we go to we usually have extended periods of time where we can make tools to make most of our volunteer opportunities that we have to, to run raw tools right now. We track every tool that we make back to the gun that it came from. So we want to have these two narratives on our website that people can see. There's a, a family whose who's teenager decided to play Russian roulette with a kind of a collection of guns that he had gotten from friends' houses or things that guns that weren't locked up basically. And uh, started pulling the trigger and one of them took his life. So we use those stories to try and connect people to to these stories of grief, but also to uh, resources to help people dealing with suicidal thoughts and, and depression and other other things that happen in our life that bring that to us. So Many people feel like Raw Tools is after their Second Amendment, but uh, when I feel like people are just missing the point when, when that's their main argument is our real, we want to make you feel like the Second Amendment is just kind of moot. Like it doesn't matter if you have the right to own a gun, it's not in our tool belt. We don't need it to get through life. Um, I know there's a there's a huge uh, hunting culture that provides and, and and helps feed their family through that aspect, but that's a that's a completely different issue than what we're talking about with gun violence. We did an event there at La Plazita Institute that uh, works with youth, and we 
we had some of their youth help us make tools um, out of guns that were confiscated in the Albuquerque area. And now those tools that we made with them will be used in the fields where they grow food, which is then purchased by the correctional facilities and the detention centers that other fellow youth are in. So it's a real beautiful full circle of, of reconciliation and reintegration and really restoration because that's what we're about is restoring people to the value uh, that we know they have and to make sure that society knows that they're valuable. We're realizing that the actual conversion of a gun to a garden tool is the, is the easy part and the hard part is the human element and how we deal with the conflict with each other. Isaiah 2.4 and Micah 4.3-4 both speak to beating swords into plowshares and training for war no more. And Micah kind of adds another one on there about sitting under your own vine and your own fig tree without fear of anybody else, you know, of people passing by, your community. And I think that's, I think that's the end goal. It's a cool line. Hey, Jesus invites us to trust the gardening way of Jesus in a world of violence. You see, Jesus was always pointing to his Father, to the character and promises of God. This Father, he is the one who brings justice, who makes things right again. But as for Jesus, you know what he did? Knowing full well who God is and what God is doing, he kneeled down before people to heal them. He called people together from diverse backgrounds to follow him, to live in this Jesus way of peace in this world. I think raw tools, they are trying to demonstrate that and live out this. I don't think that they're naive to the problems in their community, nor are they cynical but or resigned to the suffering of their community. Instead, they are taking what they know, a forge, and they are trying to bring peace and make a statement. They're naming what is harmful with the posture of Jesus' love, and they're helping others move out of causing evil to see that they can be part of peace too. I think that's what Jesus does. He brings us along and shows us that we can participate as being peacemakers. So my question for you as we wrap up today, it's this. What weapons have you picked up along the way to defend yourself? What tools or what weapons have you had to keep close by because the world has maybe um, caused you some fear or anxiety? What are some ways that you've had to protect yourself or that you see an enemy at the gate and you are, like Micah said, in terror and in panic? What, uh, what is so frightful in your heart or in your world today that you are having to choose between a sword and trusting your own way or taking a look at maybe how God can bring peace to you? And what does it look like for us to think in this, use this metaphor to unpack and say, what has maybe God been working in your heart to turn a weapon into a tool of peace, to a tool that breaks hard ground and prepares your life for something to grow anew? I think Micah was getting at something really profound here when he was talking and using this metaphor. And a number of the prophets use this picture of sword to plowshare. And it makes me wonder if in this time, this picture, this, this word image is something that we need to chew over. Sometimes our goal isn't to take the story of the Bible and kind of squeeze it in to fit our life. But rather, the work in our heart is to expand the imagination of our heart to be able to take some of these stories of the Bible and, and imagine what they, would like, what they would be like to be ours. 
that we would have a God so loving and so present to us that he would protect us, <laughs> that, he, that he would care for us, that he knows the groanings that we're going through in this hard and difficult season, and that he would even invite us to take the one weapon we have that we think we're defending ourselves with and say, can you go out and start a garden? Can you go out and grow something? Can you go out and feed other people and reach out and make something green in a wasteland? This is the kingdom of God, to turn something dry and gray and bleak into something that is growing for the betterment of others. But here's the final nub of it all. It's this. Jesus, he comes and finally, after all is said and done, do you know what Jesus does with the sword? He submits himself to it. This sword, he ends up taking the violence of the world upon himself on the cross. And he is the one who takes it on him. This is a big mystery. It's one that takes a lifetime, I think, to spend our time chewing over. But the violence isn't just giving God a sword that he's going to wield it around at our enemies, but he takes it on himself so that he could save the whole world. So that even the enemies of God wouldn't have a weapon formed against them. This is the love of God who brings peace and shalom to our world. And I talk about it a lot, but it's interesting that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he was confused for what? A gardener. This is the Prince of Peace who's gardening and making life and saying, come and join me. You're protected. You're mine. You are loved. Amen. I'm going to end with this benediction from this little booklet. It's inspired by Jeremiah and Isaiah. Jeremiah 29, Isaiah 2. It says this, we now, uh, we leave now to live our lives. We will grow old and we will raise families and we will love neighbor and family. We will get on with living our lives, mindful of the dreams God has for humanity, whether we're in Jerusalem or Babylon. We will trust that God's peace will come. We will go forth and walk the path of the Lord. We will go forth and live as those instructed in the ways of the Lord taking the weapons of our lives and turning them into instruments of peace and justice. Praise be to our God who shows us the way. Bless you, friends. Have a good week and may it be full of shalom and peace this week.